I want you to take your Bible with me. Uh, I want you to find your place in the book of 1 Kings. Actually, let's, let's start in 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. And uh, as we get ready to get into this word, let me give you another scripture that has kind of been a foundational verse for us this year as a church. You saw the established logo coming in. Maybe you saw it on the screen earlier in the service. There's a word that God spoke to us out of Luke chapter 2, verse 52, describes Jesus' life, and it says this. It says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. He grew mentally, he grew physically, he grew spiritually, and he grew relationally. And I'm so excited about that word that God spoke to our church and that uh, we're kind of undergirding through our life groups. I personally am super excited about life groups because my group starts tonight. I got several young adults that are going to be joining me at my house this evening. I know some of you, you started your groups a couple weeks ago. You're ahead of us, and some of you maybe uh, you haven't started yet, but I'm excited about that word because the life groups are going to be diving into uh, that text and unpacking those ways that Jesus calls us to grow. Now, I'll tell you why I'm saying that now at the beginning of this message because we're starting a series today on the life of Elisha. But the heart behind this message is this. God wants you to grow in favor with him. Amen. He wants you to grow in favor with him. And when I look through the word of God, Elisha is a man that just kind of rises to the top of somebody that understood what it took to find favor with God, to grow in favor with with God. And so I just want you to hear my heart at the beginning here of this message. This whole month, my desire for you, if you'll keep coming back, is that God would pour out his favor in your life like never before. How many of you heard the, the phrase, April showers bring May flowers, right? I've been saying that a lot to myself lately with all the rain we're getting, you know, trying to keep myself encouraged. Hey, something good's coming. Something good's coming. Eventually, spring will get here. But I want to tell you, that statement we say a lot of times in the natural, but I want to say that spiritually. I believe that there is a shower of God's presence that he wants to rain down on your life this month because something is in bloom. Something that God wants to do, he wants to prepare you for. That's why not only is this whole series for the next three Sundays about us finding favor with God, but the last weekend of this month, we're going to have a weekend we're calling Saturate Weekend. And I've asked evangelist Ron Rhodes to come and to speak on Friday night, April 27th, on Saturday night, April 28th, and on Sunday morning in the 9 a.m. and the 11 a.m. service to this church so that we can be stirred up and saturated with God's presence. Now, you might be here today and you say, why in the world? Would anybody want to go to church that much in one weekend? Like, that's just, that's just, that's crazy. I mean, you're lucky to keep me here past 12. I mean, listen, if you feel that way, I hope that today's message will answer your questions. I hope that today you'll understand why it is so important that sometimes we just go the extra mile. Sometimes that we just dig a little deeper. Sometimes we just press in a little harder. We're going to look at the life of Elisha. Have you found your place in 2 Kings chapter 2? <clears throat> if you have a Bible and it's there, if you don't have one, you can use one in the racks underneath the chair in front of you or near you. 
But I want to ask you one more time, if you just stand, we want to honor God's word today. Can we stand together to read the word? 2 Kings chapter 2, let's start in verse 7. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken away from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. Now, you've probably noticed their names sound very similar. So I'm going to help you in case you're unfamiliar with this story. Elijah, with a J, Elijah, came first. He's older. He's the prophet of God. Elisha, with an S-H, came afterwards. He's the younger man. All right, so J comes before S in the alphabet. So if that helps you, Elijah is older. Elisha comes second. Let's pray God's blessing on this word. Father, thank you so much that you have a double portion of your presence that you don't want to withhold. In fact, according to your word, you're looking to pour it out. God, give us faith today to lean in with our whole hearts to what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. Lord, anoint my lips. Give me the ability to say what you said so powerfully to me this week. God, give us ears to hear and respond in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated again. Let me just lay a foundation for where we're going by telling you what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. This is a really important starting place for us because the Bible says in that verse, and without faith, hear this, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You have to believe that today. If you don't, if you don't have much of a conviction about the word of God, you need to start here. You need to understand and believe that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. He's not looking at your, at your past. He's not looking at what your family story has been. He's not looking at how many good deeds you've done. He's looking at your pursuit. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. And here's what you need to know. You cannot, you cannot go farther from God and at the same time get more of God's favor in your life. It just doesn't work that way. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. You cannot move farther from God and move more in God's favor. He's earnestly, he's looking for those who earnestly seek him. And here's what you need to know about God as you seek him. God is good. Amen? Amen? Now, I know you heard me, but I don't know if you heard me, so I'm going to slow down. God is good. Amen. I, I don't just mean God does good. I mean goodness is who he is. 
He is good. See, Moses learned that in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses said, Lord, you said you were going to have your favor on my life. You said you were going to speak to me. You said I was going to lead your people. But God, I want to see your glory. God said, nobody can see my glory and live. But I want to see your glory. And God said, okay, Moses, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I want you to go stand on a rock over there. And I'm going to hide you in the cleft of that rock. And I'm going to pass by you. And I'm, you can't see my face and live. But I'll let you see my back when I pass by. And here's what he told Moses. He said, I'll let you see my goodness. Because God is goodness. And he says, you, you want to know what God is like? God is good. And not only is he good, but his desire, his plan, his purpose in creating you and me, every one of us, is to be near us. God's heart is to draw you close to himself. And that's why if we're talking about having the favor, favor of God, we're also talking about proximity to his presence. Because the favor of God is found in the presence of God. God is good. He is favorable. And his desire for you is that he would be with you. That's why Jeremiah said this. Prophetically speaking, the Lord said through him in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me, look at this, and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Earnestly seeking the Lord. When you seek me, you will find me. Now that, that's the starting place. We got to understand that. Now you need to understand something about Elijah, the prophet, the old man. You got to understand something about the role that he plays if you're going to catch the weight of this message today. See, the Bible says in Hebrews 1 and verse 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. In other words, the Old Testament characters didn't have what you have sitting on your lap. They didn't have a Bible. And so God spoke to them in many various ways at many different times through prophets. Elijah was one of those prophets. So you got to understand, as we look at this story, that Elijah is the voice of God in the life of Elisha. Elijah is the one who carries God's anointing. Elijah carries the favor of God on his life. And so you can imagine how surprised the young man Elisha was when one day, 10 years before this story that we just read from, He's out plowing in the fields, and all of a sudden, he sees the man of God, Elijah, walking towards him. I, I want you to go with me just a couple pages to the left to 1 Kings chapter 19. This is the moment when the prophet of God shows up at Elisha's house. Look at verse 19 with me. 1 Kings 19, 19. It says, So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 20 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak around him. There's three things, three sentences in this verse. I want to tell you three things about it. The first one 
It says, so Elijah went there and he found Elisha. What I want you to understand is that this is not a calling into the ministry. This is an ordination. This is Elijah the prophet recognizing what God has already said. See, if you look back in, in verse 16 in the same chapter, it tells us that the Lord had told Elijah, go and anoint Elisha to succeed you as the prophet in Israel. So Elijah's not going to, to call him into the ministry. He's going to recognize what God is already doing in his life. You know, it's funny. So many people, and maybe you've even said this yourself, people often say, I found Jesus back in 19-whatever. Or, or I found Jesus last year at the Easter service. Or I, Can I tell you the truth is, you didn't find Jesus. None of us found Jesus. He found us. Amen? He, he's the one who leaves the 99 and goes out and rescues us. And what you need to know in this moment is this is not one man of God calling another man of God to the ministry. This is God in his sovereignty choosing who he will to do the work that he's called him to do. It's God who calls. And can I just say today, he's still calling. He's calling right now, calling to you. He has a work. He has something for you to do. And oftentimes what we do is we wait for the man or woman of God to call us. Well, nobody ever asked me, so I didn't sign up. Nobody ever asked me to do anything. God is calling you today. The second thing I see in this verse, it says that he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. You know what that tells me? That apparently Elisha was not some guy, uh, you know, at, at the end of his rope just looking for a way out. Like, I just need another opportunity. I need somebody that I can apprentice under. I need a place I can go. No, apparently Elisha was a pretty wealthy young man. I mean, when you understand the implications of, of, of that day and, and what this says about his livelihood. He's got 12 teams of oxen, and he himself is plowing behind the 12th pair. Now, we don't know if he was born into affluence. We don't know if he had to work his way up uh, from the bottom rung, but this is a young man who's well on his way. He, he's got something going for him in his life. He possessed a lot of things. But the other thing we learn is that the things that Elisha possessed didn't possess him. See, that, that's a really, really important principle that we understand because we have to be able. It's, it's not about how much you have. It's about how much has you. You have to be able to let go of some things when it comes to the opportunity to step into what God has for you. We're going to see it play out in this verse. The latter part of that verse says, Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak around him. Now, that's the same cloak that we read about later. He would take that cloak off and he would slap it on the water and part the waters of the Jordan to walk across on dry land. That cloak that he was wearing was was an outward symbol of his authority, of his, of his power, of his calling. And I want to assure you, the young Elisha knew it. Because when you read this story, 
he responds to this moment in a powerful way. This cloak was symbolic. Now, I don't know if there's any sports fans here today, but if there are, I don't have to tell you, today is the final day of the Masters in Augusta. And today, at 7 o'clock, there's going to be what they call the Green Jacket Ceremony. The Green Jacket Ceremony is so unique. You know, most sports, they all compete for a trophy, whether it's a cup or a belt or, or a, a football. But at the Masters, it's not about what you hold in your hand. It's about what you wear. They're going to have the green jacket ceremony at 7 o'clock, and somebody is going to don a green coat. And then from that moment forward, they will be immortalized in golf history as a master's winner. You don't get that green jacket if you don't win that tournament. And when you look at somebody in that green jacket, you know what that means. And they'll all be strutting like peacocks with their green jackets on. Because everybody knows when you see that jacket, they've won the Masters. I'm going to tell you, that's what it was like for Elijah's cloak. When people saw that cloak, they knew what that meant. That's, that's the mantle. That's the anointed of God. He has the power of God. He speaks the word of God. And now look with me in verse 20. After Elijah has taken that cloak... And just thrown it over the shoulders of this young man, Elisha. Verse 20 says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. And then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Verse 21 says, so Elisha left him and he went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and he became his servant. I'm going to tell you, that is a radical response. I mean, can you just imagine it for a moment? Elisha is... He's just doing his work. He's plowing in the field when all of a sudden, for the first time in his life, he feels the weight of the anointing. He feels the weight of God's presence rest on his shoulders. He feels the power of God that permeates the life of the old prophet. And he responds in such a powerful way that he says, wait, let me go kiss my mother and father. And I think even Elijah is a little bit surprised by, by how ambitious this young man. He says, well, what did I do to you? Yeah, go, go back. Kiss your mother. Kiss your father. And this young man is so, so passionate that he goes back. And not only does he kiss his parents goodbye, there's a, there's a sense of permanence to what he's doing because he takes the yoke and he burns it in a pile of wood and he barbecues the oxen and throws a block party. He invites all the neighbors. And essentially what he's doing in that moment is he's, he's, he's staking his claim on the favor of God. See, here's what we do a lot of times. We have an opportunity for God to, to use us or for God to do something in our life. And we go, hmm, wow, that would be, that would be interesting. I, yeah, I, 
I might, I might dip my foot in those waters. I might, I might test the limits and see what happens there. But all the while, we've got plan B over here. If, I mean, if that doesn't work out, you know, if I try to go all in and, and this just gets a little bit too much for me, I got, I got my other plan in place, but not Elisha. Elisha says, I, I am, I'm all in. I, I am all in. Burn the yoke, sacrifice the oxen. I, I'm not turning back. I'm going all in for what God is giving me the opportunity to pursue. And so here he is. I mean, he's, he's a successful young man. He's building wealth. He's building a career. And then, just like that, out of nowhere, an opportunity comes to pursue the favor of God, to have more. And I, I want to tell you, I, what, what I sense in my spirit is that, that God just wants, like Elijah did, he just wants to walk into the middle of your field. He just wants to come to where you are and give you an experience. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants you to just experience for yourself what his glory feels like. He wants you to experience for yourself what it, what it is to feel the weight of God's presence in your life. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what you're doing when God's favor finds you. What matters is what you do in response to it. Listen, I mean, Elisha is out. He's tilling the soil. You look at the life of David or the life of Moses, and they're tending the sheep when all of a sudden God shows up with an anointing for them. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press when God shows up. Peter was mending his fishing nets when Jesus gave him the invitation, come and follow me. Listen, it doesn't matter what you're doing when God's favor finds you. What matters is how you respond to it. That's why time and time again, Jesus said, he that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying, if you want God's favor on your life, you got to go all in. You got to go all in. All of a sudden, for Elisha, class, reputation, income, none of that stuff mattered to him so much. I mean, it was all dispensable in that moment. He serves up his livelihood as a community banquet, and he pursues the favor of God. You know, Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must, what? Take up his cross and follow me. You know what? That tells me that there's something of me, there's something of you that has to be crucified. There's something of us that has to die. There's something of us that can't be so self-centered and so self-consumed if we're going to follow God. And following God is finding the favor of God. And so if we're going to go all in, something has to be crucified. But here's, here's the pushback. Here's the reality. And I'm preaching to me so you can say amen. It's not about you, right? It's just me, right? Here's my tendency. My hands are on the plow. I've been plowing this field for a long time. I've been profitable with this plow. I've had some success with this plow. I have a reputation that is wrapped up in what I can accomplish with this plow. And so the plow becomes my prestige. And the temptation is that when the favor of God comes, I'm not willing to let go of the blessing that I know to follow him into the greater blessing 
that is uncertain. Just me, not you. That temptation to say, God, I believe you're good, but I want you to just bless what I'm doing. Like, God, I want your favor on my idea. I want your favor on, on my timetable, on my schedule, on my agenda. Yes, God, I want a double portion of blessing. But if you could do it right here, my hands are firmly gripping this plow. And this is what I know. And oftentimes, those that step into the favor of God, those that see God operate in and through their life in a greater dimension are those that are willing to let go of the certainty of what they know and step into new territory. That's why it's so critical. Elisha, in that moment, he, he, he lets it all go. He burns the yoke. He barbecues the oxen. He kisses his parents goodbye, and he runs hard. And that, that moment is a snapshot of what the rest of his career is going to look like. I mean, you got to get that moment. If you want to understand Elisha, you got to go right there and understand what God is doing in this moment. Because it is an image of his heart, his passionate pursuit for God for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life. That same heart is the same heart in 2 Kings chapter 2 where we read from earlier. That was so bold and so audacious as to say to the prophet, I want a double portion of the anointing that rests on your life. Go with me back to chapter 2 of 2 Kings 2, because I, I, I want you to see the progression as he gets to this place and he makes this request. Let's just start in verse 1. 2 Kings 2 verse 1 says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. So apparently, God had spoken to many people that Elijah's ministry was coming to an end, that God was going to take him away and miraculously take him away to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah is one of only two people in all the Bible that never died. Elijah and Enoch, God just took them up to heaven. And so this is about to happen. And verse 1 says they were on their way from Gilgal. Now, can I, can I tell you something about Gilgal? Gilgal means rolled away. And let me give you the backstory. In Joshua chapter 5, you know, they've, all, they've been through the wilderness. The next generation has come up. God's waiting for his people to possess the promised land. Finally, they've crossed over the Jordan River. They're getting ready to go and to attack Jericho, that first city of the promised land. But before they do, they have a covenant-making moment with God, and it happens in this place. The Bible says in Joshua 5 and verse 9, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. It's called Gilgal because Gilgal means rolled away. This is the moment for the people of Israel where God says all the, the garbage of your past, all the, the, the 
stuff that you've been shackled to, the stuff that you haven't been able to get free from, today's the day. I'm rolling that away. Can I just back up for a couple moments to Easter Sunday and tell you that when the stone was rolled away, that wasn't so Jesus could get out of the tomb. Come on, he could walk through walls. He didn't need anybody to roll the stone away for him. That stone was rolled away to communicate to us that your sins, your debt has been rolled away. You've had a Gilgal moment at Calvary. And Jesus, yes, he died, but while he was in there, he buried death. And because he conquered death and he came back to life, your past is rolled away. That's, that's the place that they're in. And can I just say today, that's a good place to be. Amen? Amen? Come on, anybody had your sins rolled away? Anybody thankful that, that the past, the reproach, the shame is gone in Jesus' name? That's the place where they were. But let me just say a little farther, there's a lot of people that are content to stay there. And, and, and their Christian life looks like this. They, they, they feel conviction about sin. They, they start to feel the burden and the weight that David said, my, when I kept it in, my bones ached within me. They feel that, and so what do they do? They come to the altar. They come back to Jesus. They come back to church. They, they come back to prayer. They call on God. They experience that Gilgal moment. They, they receive forgiveness. They receive grace because God's grace is always available and it's greater than sin. And they go, oh, wow, I just, whew, I feel so much better. But then they turn around and they go right back to that same lifestyle. Back to those same patterns. Back to those same habits. Nothing's really changed. They just got the, the load lifted off their shoulders long enough to feel good enough to go right back into the same cycle of sin and forgiveness and sin and confession and forgiveness and, and over and over and over again. And Gilgal is amazing. In fact, if you've never had that moment in your life before this service ends, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer and say, Jesus, roll away the reproach. I don't want my sins anymore. you got to go to Gilgal. But God's plan for you is not to stay there. There, there, there's something else that God has for you beyond that. Look with me at verse 2. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, and can, can we read together out loud what Elisha said? Starts with the word as. Here we go. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now, you know what Bethel means? Bethel means the house of God. The house of God. And that's a great place. Aren't you glad you came to the house of God today? Amen. 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 Let me tell you where Bethel got its name. It was in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob laid his hand on a rock and looked up into the heavens and he fell asleep. And the Bible says that he had a dream that night of a ladder descending and ascending from the earth to heaven. It's Jacob's ladder. And in that dream, God confirmed to him the promise that he had given to his father, Isaac, and to his grandfather, Abraham, that God was going to bless him, that God was going to make him many nations, and that the whole world would be blessed through him. And out of that experience, Jacob wakes up 
And the Bible says in Genesis 28, about verse 16, Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place. And then he says, how awesome is this place? Don't you feel that way about church sometimes? I mean, come on. I mean, just there's things that God does in this atmosphere. It just doesn't happen any other time in the week. I mean, not for me at least. I mean, listen, this isn't the first time I've heard this message. But there's something that God does when we all pray together. There's something that God does when we worship together, when we sing together, when we all rally around the same truth and add our amen to the same promises. There's something powerful that God does that makes us say, surely God is in this place. This place is awesome. I love Bethel. I love the house of God. But can I tell you that the plan of God is way bigger for you than church attendance. There's some people, they feel like that this is the end all. Like, I guess, I guess I've arrived. I mean, I, I, I started going to church. And I guess that's what they intend to tell God when they stand before him. Like, what did you do for me with your 84 years? Well, I went to church. Back in 2019, I had perfect attendance. Can I just, I mean, I love Bethel. Come on. We got to be in the house of God. This is a place that is awesome. But God has more for your life than church attendance. And the temptation is, let's just stay here. Let's just do this. I mean, it's one day a week. It's an hour and a half. We're in. We're out. I got a lot of other stuff to do. But the favor of God takes us farther. Look at verse 3 and 4. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha, and they asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, replied Elisha. So be quiet. <laughs> everybody, everybody knows it's about to happen. Like, everybody knows it's happening today. And he said, don't, don't talk about it. I know, he's, I know he's about to disappear, but don't mention it. Then, look at verse 4. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, come on, let's read it out loud again. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. I've already mentioned Jericho. You remember where Jericho is, right? Jericho was that first victory. God gave this crazy Battle strategy, no, no firing arrows, no charging against the gates. We just want you to walk around the walls of the city once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. And after the seventh time on the seventh day, we want you to blow the trumpets and we want you to shout and the walls are going to come down. That's Jericho. And how many of you know we need to have some Jericho moments in the church? Yes. You know, we used to do Jericho marches in the church. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not going to strike up the band. <laughs> but some of y'all have been in church long enough to know what that is. I mean, the worship team would start playing, and somebody would just get up and just start marching. <laughs> and then it, it was like, it was like a, what do you call those bands? Uh, the, the bands, everybody dances and, you know, does it was one of those type things, you know. 
And people start marching around the church, and I can't imagine what the first-time guests are feeling. They're like, what? The, you know, probably the first-time guests just start doing the electric slide. Like, I don't, this is like a group dance thing. I don't know. But we used to do Jericho marches. Why? Because it was a moment for the people of God to rally around the work that God had done in our lives. When we go to Jericho, we go back to victory. We go back to a place where we go, God is more than able to fight our battles for us. Jericho is a place where we don't strive, where we don't contend. We just shout because God gave us the victory. Amen? Amen. Amen. We need a Jericho. Some of y'all on this side need more Jericho than people on that side. You need another lap around Jericho. We need those moments. So powerful to just rally together and say, look what the Lord has done. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If God saved you, you ought to say so. But some people are content to just live in Jericho. They are just so happy to sit and uh, talk about the good old days when God moved, the good old days when God intervened. Just let's just let's sing that old song again. Let's do the same thing we did back then. Let's just keep celebrating everything that God has done. And listen, in the midst of our celebrating what God did do, we can miss what God wants to do. Sometimes the thing that keeps us from God's best is God's good, the good thing that God did. No doubt Elisha was a blessed young man, but God had more in store for his life. And he had an opportunity to stay at Jericho, but he refused. He said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. You ought to have a testimony about what God did in your life. And you ought to say it loud and proud. But your memory should never be greater than your vision. There's more. There's more. God's not finished yet. If he was, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be breathing. You'd be like Elijah. God would say, I'm done with you. (laughs) Just take me up. There's more. What's interesting about this story is on every stop of the journey, at Gilgal, at Bethel, at Jericho, at every stop of the journey, there's a school of prophets that are there. And they ask the question, do you know that the Lord is about to take your master from you today? And at every stop on the journey, Elisha has the opportunity to stay behind. In fact, Elijah even tells him, stay here. He has to... He has to resist what is convenient to press on farther. But what's equally interesting to me is that at every stop on the journey, not only did Elisha have an opportunity to stop and to stay behind, but all those other prophets in the school had an opportunity to pursue and to go on. And yet I want to tell you, the majority are always willing to stay where they are. It was 11 out of 12 disciples that stayed in the boat. Only one said, if it's really you, let me come to you on the water. Every one of them had the opportunity to go to a place with the prophet. Hear me today. The favor of God, you can't can't earn it. You can't earn his favor. In fact, if you're saved, you're already highly favored. 
I mean, come on. The Bible says you've been translated out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are heirs of God. You are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. We are royalty, sons and daughters of the Most High. If that's not favored, I don't know what favor is. You are favored if you know Jesus. But I can't get past the reality that Jesus himself grew in favor. Now, if anybody was born favored, how many of you know it was Jesus? The only one born perfect, sinless. The favor of God was on his life. He baptized John the Baptist in the spirit while he was still in the womb. I mean, come on. That's a strong anointing. But it says Jesus grew in favor. And so I'm not asking if God's favored you. He has, if you've called on him. But what I'm asking you is, do you want to grow in favor? I mean, knowing that your sins are washed away, knowing that the reproach is rolled away, that's awesome. That's the greatest news you could ever get, that God has forgiven you of your sins. But don't stay in Gilgal. I mean, knowing that, that, that God's presence is here in the house, knowing that this is an awesome place, knowing that God not only saved you out of sin, but he put you in a family. Come on, that's amazing. But God's plan for your life is more than church attendance. Don't stay in Bethel. Don't let your relationship with God be defined by a time slot from 11 to 1230 on a Sunday morning. There's something more that God has for you. Praise God for the victories won. Praise God for the, the great things he has done. Man, we can circle that old path. We can march around those dilapidated walls, and we can shout and reminisce and sing about all that God did. But God does not want you to live in the past. God has something for your future. Don't stay in Jericho. There's more that God has for you. You know, he doesn't force it on you. God in his grace, you don't, have, you don't have to go after more. In fact, sometimes he doesn't even invite you. God just waits for someone who will pursue. Sometimes God just waits for somebody that will volunteer. It's like in Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible says Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord. The train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah recognizes in that holy moment that, that he's sinful and, and unclean and lives among an unclean people. And the Bible says in that moment where he got a, a, a glimpse into the heavenly realm, the Bible says he heard the Lord say, who will go for us? He didn't hear the Lord say, Isaiah, will you go? No, no the Lord wasn't talking to anyone specifically. He wasn't asking anyone to go. He just happened to hear the Lord saying, who will go for us? And if you had ears to hear the supernatural, I believe you'd hear the same thing today. The Lord is saying right now, who will go for us? Yeah. Who, who will go? And Isaiah just up and volunteered. I mean, hey, I, I'm here. I'm in the presence of the Lord. Here I am. Send me. Send me. God is looking for someone who has a heart that is diligently, passionately pursuing his heart. Look at verse 6, 2 Kings chapter 2. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. 
at Jericho. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, come on, one more time together. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two walked on. And this is the moment we read earlier. They come to the edge of the water at the Jordan. And Elijah, the old prophet, takes his coat off. And, and he strikes the water with it. Now we've heard of God parting the Red Sea for the Israelites. And God parted the Jordan so that the army could advance across. But how cool is this? I mean, just two guys. <laughs> Elijah just strikes the water. And the waters part. And the old prophet and the young man walk across together on dry land. And Elisha says in verse 9, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your anointing, of your spirit. This is the same passion that caused Elisha to run after the old prophet when he showed up in his field. The same passion that, that caused him to, to, to burn the yoke and to barbecue the oxen and to say, I'm all in. It's the same passion in this moment that gives him the audacity to pray a prayer like this to a, a powerful man of God and to say, I want twice what God did in your life. I want him to do twice as much in my life. I'm telling you, that is a bold prayer. And can I just ask you this question? Why settle for a single portion when you can get seconds? Amen. Right? Amen. I mean, come on. Yeah. We're not supposed to be greedy. But if you're going to be greedy about anything, be greedy about the favor of God. Yes. Be greedy about God wanting to use you. I mean, if God's looking for somebody, if he's asking the question, who will go for me? Listen, there's a lot of lost people in this community. And there's a lot of great churches in this community. But if God's asking, I'm getting in the front of the line with both hands up. Hey, use me. Use me. Use this church. Use us. I'll take a double portion. And Elisha is so bold that he prays this kind of prayer. And he says, I want a double portion of your spirit. Can I give you a prayer to pray? I, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. Maybe, maybe some of this is flying over your head today. But here's a prayer. You can always pray and feel confident praying. Just say, God, I want whatever you want for me. That's a great prayer. God, I want whatever you want for me. James 4 says, you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. I said it earlier when we were praying for Brittany, but I'm going to say it now. There's nowhere in the word of God where Jesus rebukes anybody for believing too much, for having too much faith. I mean, your prayer life ought to reflect the size of your God. It ought, it ought to reflect the, the scope of how big your God is, of what he's capable of. Look at verse 10. Elijah says to the young man, you've asked a difficult thing. And can I just challenge you with that? Could anybody say that about your prayer life? 
I mean, have you asked for difficult things? Because honestly, if it's not hard, I mean, do you even need God to answer that prayer? A lot of times we pray these safe little prayers, these safety net prayers, so that if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't move, it's probably not going to, it was going to work out anyway, you know? Prayers that don't go any deeper than, thank you for this food, God, give me a good night's sleep. God, bless the day today. And those are not insignificant, but you ought to pray prayers that scare hell sometimes. Amen. You ought to pray prayers where the devil goes, oh, if he heard that. <laughs> You've asked a difficult thing. Yeah, but I, I ask a big God. Amen. I mean, he's a big God. He is more than able when the great preacher Dwight L. Moody was laying on his deathbed. He told his sons, he said, if God be your partner, make your plans large. If God's your partner, make your plans large. Look with me as we come to the end of this story. Verse 11 and 12 says, as they were walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and he tore it in two. This is the moment of the story. Elisha's looking up and Elijah's gone. About that time, he sees something falling down from the sky. It's that cloak. He's looking up there, and then... Now the question's got to be answered. Is what I saw God doing because God is who he is, or is it because Elijah was who he was? See, a lot of us, we disqualify ourselves from being used by God because we look too much at the man. Well, if I knew the Bible like they know, well, if I had the resources they have, well, if I was younger, well, if I was older, and we put all of our attention on the people that God uses instead of the God in the people. And this is the moment for Elisha. He's all alone on the wrong side of the Jordan River. He's going to have to swim back or, or, or God's going to have to move. The Bible says he walks over and he picks it up and he goes over to the edge of the Jordan and he probably reared back and then he thought, no wait, Elijah's right-handed. He did it like this. This, this. this is how this goes. And then he cries out loud. He says, where is the God of Elijah? And he rears back, and the Bible says he smotes the water, and the water parts. The same way it did for the old prophet, it happens for the young man. The water parts, and he walks across on dry land. And God duplicated that supernatural miracle. But that first miracle would turn into the multiplication of miracles, because God did twice as many miracles in the life of Elisha than he did in the life of Elijah. And it happened because someone was unwilling to stay at a place where God's grace has saved me. Now, there's no greater revelation than that, but I wasn't called to live at an altar of repentance. Yeah. 
I wasn't called to stay at a place of continually living in sin and asking forgiveness of sin. No, there's something greater than that. God rescued me out of darkness. He planted me in the family of God where I could grow, where I could be discipled, where I could be in Bethel, the house of God. And God could just amaze me with his glory and his goodness. And I could say, wow, this place is awesome. But there's more than the Sunday experience. God wants some of us to rally back around the promises of his word. You've been living in defeat. Somehow you've been so discouraged by what is happening in your life that you forgot the God who can just deteriorate the enemy and destroy the walls with a shout. And God wants to give some of you the shout back. You're like the Israelites living in captivity who said, we've we've hung our harps on the willows. You've lost your song. You need to go back to Jericho. You need to get your shout back. But don't be tempted to stay there because that's a temptation as well, that we put it in neutral and say, you know, God's done a lot of great things in my life. We'll leave the rest to the next generation. No, God's not finished with you yet. God's not finished with you yet. You got to have a heart like Elisha that runs hard after a double portion, a heart that won't rest until you've experienced for yourself the weight of that anointing. Until you've experienced for yourself the power of God's spirit through your life. I know our time is short, but I, I want to pray for you. And before I do, I just I want to give you one more image in your mind. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the grave. He's alive and he's appeared to his disciples. And it, it's in that moment in Acts chapter 1, about verse 5. Jesus says to the disciples, he said, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Down in verse 8, he said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Look at verse 9. It says, after he said that, he was taken up. Before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Doesn't this sound familiar? Just like Elisha, the 12 disciples, they're, they're looking up. Jesus just disappeared in the clouds. The next verse says they were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who was been taken away from you into heaven will come again in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. You know what happened next? The Bible says that all the apostles, they left that hill and they walked into the city. Verse 13 says they went upstairs into an upper room and they began to pray. For 10 days, they stayed in that room and they prayed. Do you know why? They They were waiting for that mantle to fall back down. The mantle that Jesus promised them that they were going to have. And the Bible says 10 days later on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.1, 
And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. You know what that was? That was the mantle. That was the power. That was the anointing that they needed. That Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you get the mantle. Till you get the power. I'm going up in the clouds, but the Spirit of God is coming back down. He's going to equip you. He's going to give you power to be my witnesses in the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm telling you today, there's something more that God has for your life. Now, I personally would like nothing more than to spend about the next 15 minutes just praying in these altars together and seeking the more. But I want to respect your time today. What I want to ask you to do is to lean in with your whole heart to what I believe God is doing this month in this church. Something, something's going to culminate on Saturate weekend. Maybe it'll be Friday night, the 27th. Maybe it'll be Sunday morning, the 29th. I don't know. But the storm clouds are gathering, and I sense in my spirit that God wants to throw a weight of his glory on your shoulders like you've never known before. And I would challenge you to start praying this prayer. God, I want whatever you want for me. Now I want to pray for you at the conclusion of this service. And would you just bow your head with me? All across this room, I want to give you the invitation I told you about earlier. I want to give you an invitation to have the reproach of your sin roll away. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can say how. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the, that's the Gilgal experience. That God would totally wipe away the reproach of your past. Maybe you're here today and that's not a new prayer for you. It's something you've prayed before, but you haven't ever moved past this place. And today, you're feeling that same weight of guilt and condemnation on your shoulders. The enemy's been beating you up with it. Perhaps you even came to this service today anticipating this moment because you know what to do and you've heard the Spirit calling you and now's the moment. Whether it's the first time or the tenth time, if you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you today saying repent of your sins and believe in Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of your life, right now, without any hesitation, would you just raise a hand up high and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I'm looking all across this room. Anyone that would say, that's me. I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Anyone else, you would just say, I need Jesus to cleanse me. I need his word spoken over my life. There are no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But to have that word, you got to be in Christ Jesus. And this is your moment to come home. To say, Jesus, I believe. I repent. Anyone else, I'm looking for the last time. Praise God. Thank you, young men. The Holy Spirit is dealing 
with your heart today. You can put your hand back down. I, I want to ask you right where you're seated. I want to ask you to pray this prayer. I'm going to give you the words, but I can't give you the heart. I can't give you the sincerity. But I want you to give it to God. Say this prayer with me out loud. Come on, everybody, pray it together. Say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I know that the penalty for sin is death. But I believe that Jesus paid the price I couldn't afford. He died. He was buried. And he rose on the third day so that I could have life. So Jesus, I put my faith in you to be the Lord and Savior and leader of my life. From this day forward, I don't want to move farther from you. I want to seek you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, can we stand on our feet today? Can we double back to Jericho for just a moment and give God praise for all that he's done in this house today, for all that he's done in your life, in my life? Come on. Come on. God, we worship you. God, we worship you.